Holly Foxman of JewishBoston.com, and I'm here with Dan Seligson of Israel 360. Thanks for joining us for the Jewish Boston Israel 360 podcast. This month, we're celebrating Israel's 70th anniversary with some very special guests, each covering a different aspect of Israeli achievements over the past seven decades. We spoke to Miri Eisen, a retired colonel sometimes known as the Voice of Israel, A.J. Edelman, a member of the largest Winter Olympic team in Israel's history, and on this episode, an author who looked at how Israeli ingenuity is improving and even saving lives around the world. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud and iTunes. ITunes. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Today's guest, Avi George, has a new book released this month titled Thou Shalt Innovate. In it, he profiles 15 Israeli innovations and the engineers, problem solvers, and entrepreneurs who dream them up. Among the ingenious advances he covers, the Uber of ambulances, which significantly reduces the time it takes emergency responders to provide care to those in urgent need, Drip irrigation, which allowed Israel, and eventually other water-challenged countries around the world, to use minimal resources for maximum crops, and a mapping system of the human brain. Throughout, Avi weaves Torah, Talmud, and quotes from religious and social leaders to explore how Israel is fulfilling its biblical promise of tikkun olam, or mending the world. The book, Thou Shalt Innovate, is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other online booksellers. All right. Well, uh, Avi, thank you so much for being here on the Israel 360 Jewish Boston podcast. And uh, we both read Thou Shall Innovate, a really great book, and we really enjoyed it. I read it in probably three train rides because it was really riveting. I'm really glad to hear that. Thank you. I'm delighted that you enjoyed it. And, you know, we have a bunch of questions about the book and kind of putting it in the larger context. This is a very exciting month and time for Israel uh, this is, you know, Israel's 70th anniversary is coming up on Yom Hatzmaut. What role, and I know this kind of relates to your book, but maybe in the larger sense, what role is, has innovation played in, in Israel's first 70 years? So let me start by saying what a pleasure it's, uh, it is to be on your show. And as I think about your question, I, I truly think that innovation has ultimately allowed us to, to actualize our deepest aspirations as a people, as we look back over the course of the last 3,000 years, we have been praying and hoping for the ability to heal the sick, uh, help the needy, feed the poor. And Israel is, from where I stand, a modern-day miracle. We're witnessing the prophetic tradition meeting modern-day technology. And Israel today is improving the lives not only of its own citizens, but of billions of people around the world through its low and its high technology. And so when you think about tech, it's allowed us to go back to our prophetic tradition. It's allowed us to go back to our roots. When the prophet Isaiah called upon us to be a light unto the nations, or when we pray three times a day the Elenu prayer to repair the world, we all believe that uh, uh, Judaism teaches us that we have a social contract with God to spread morality and social justice. The Mishnah, Noah's times, calls upon us to repair the world. And so while we are a nation that has been around for 3,000 years, this is probably the first time in our existence that we've managed to leverage all of the prophetic tradition and have a global impact for good. And, you know, that's one of the really fascinating things about the book is the way in which you introduce each section with Torah or Jewish commentary 
and there's this theme of faith and tikkun olam running throughout. So when you when you look at, at the Jewish faith, uh, how do you see faith as playing a role in innovation in the examples that that you looked at in the book? So faith interacts wonderfully with some of the strengths that Israel brings to the table in order to create this unbelievable powerhouse of technology. So you have great universities in Israel, smart government programs, resource awareness when it comes to water and energy. You have an extraordinarily diverse culture with Jews from all over the world alongside Christians, Muslims, Druze, and Bedouins. Israel has a very strong uh, culture of resilience and grit, what people often call chutzpah, and a highly innovative military that has spawned a whole host of technologies that is not just for the military complex, but ultimately for the benefit of humanity when it comes to medicine, science, and even food. And so faith in this regard has matched up very, very nicely, and it's the culture of faith. Because if for 3,000 years you're repeating day in and day out, feed the poor, help the needy, ultimately this will have a deep impact on the culture of any people. And so while Israel is not a nation of saints, it is a nation that has been seeking higher meaning for the last 3,000 years. When I bless my children on Friday night, or when on Saturday evening, when we make the distinction between the holy and the mundane in Havdalah, the prayer is Hamavdil ben Kodesh Lechol, the separation between the holiness and the mundane. And we have been seeking the elevation of the mundane for 3,000 years. And that is at the very heart and soul of the Jewish people. And when you combine that with great universities, smart government programs, resource awareness, diversity, a, a culture of grit and resilience alongside a highly innovative military, you have a powerhouse of innovation that ultimately seeks to improve not only the lives of its own citizens, but the citizens of around the world. So in, in each chapter of the book, you highlight a life-saving or life-giving technology. How did you choose the subjects that you had? Well, first, I wanted to ensure that each of the, innovation, the innovations were highly innovative, one. And secondly, I wanted to ensure that each of them had a, a wide impact around the world. Take, for example, United Hatzalah, which is an organization that has reduced the amount of time it takes for an emergency responder to get to the scene of a medical emergency. Right? So we have ambulance, ambulances all over the world. And on average, it takes about 20 minutes to get to the scene of a medical emergency. So Ellie Beard did three things. One, he created an army of emergency responders, 5,000 to be precise, in Israel. Secondly, he gave each and every one of them a smartphone application that acts like Uber and hails the five nearest emergency responders to the scene of a medical emergency. And third, he gave many of them something called an ambucycle, which is a hybrid between an ambulance and a motorcycle. And he reduced the amount of time it takes to get an emergency responder down, up from 20 minutes down to, on average in Israel, three minutes, and in major metropolitan areas, 90 seconds. Now, if you look at that, that's a wonderful innovation for Israel that's saving the lives of millions of people every day in Israel. But ultimately, he leveraged that technology, and now it's available in 20 countries around the world, including in Jersey City. And when I think about that, the influence of that technology 
It's improved the lives of people all over the world. Or take, for example, drip irrigation. Drip irrigation today is improving the lives of billions of farmers around the world by reducing the amount of water they need to use for their agriculture by a third and doubling their crops. And that was originally innovated in the 1960s by a, na- a man by the name of Simcha Blas. And today, it is all over the world. So in addition to the fact that all of these innovations are life-saving or life-giving, what similarities did you see in them and the innovators that you chose to feature? So in each and every one of them, they had this grit and determination, this, this culture of, of chutzpah. And, and, and in every case, they had some combination of the universities. They benefited from smart government programs. They potentially were inspired by the military. Certainly in many cases, they had diversity. And there was this underpinning of Jewish or Israeli culture. And so what tied them all together was this idea of not necessarily they, they set out to make the world a better place, but ultimations had gone global and had ultimately improved the lives of a tremendous number of people, collectively billions around the world. Mm, that's great. Uh, so I loved all the stories that you featured. They were really fascinating. We noticed there weren't too many women featured in the innovation stories. Do you feel that that's an ongoing challenge in Israeli innovation? Is there still a gender imbalance in the field? Israel, like many countries, has room to improve in this particular regard. You know, the book itself featured a number of women. I can think of uh, two, two or three right off the bat that did exceptional work. Elaine Solway and Sarah Salon were the first people in history to ever bring back an extinct plant back to life. 2,000 years ago, when the Jews were expulsed from the, from the, from, from the land of Israel, they took with them their trees, including one called the Judean date palm. And in the mid-1960s, we found uh, date seeds in Masada in an archaeological dig. And about 15, 20 years ago, these two women decided, would it be potentially possible to bring back these extinct plants back to life? And they've had tremendous success. Never before have we seen an extinct plant come back to life. And today, that plant has the potential to, to solve some major medical problems they're, they're doing experimentation now as we speak. The other extraordinary, inspiring woman was the founder of a company called Alpha Omega. Uh, the name of what it's named after uh, a quote in the book of Revelations where, uh, where, uh, where it is written, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. And this particular company is solving uh, how, we, how brain surgeons go in and operate on the brain. Uh, for those who are afflicted uh, with neurological diseases like Parkinson's, essential tremor, or Tourette's, they often receive something called deep brain stimulation, which was innovated in the 1970s. And in order to solve Parkinson's or the, el- the, the symptoms of Parkinson's, an Israeli innovator by the name of Haggai Bilgman from the Hebrew University discovered that if you pulse the basal ganglia of the brain, uh, you could reduce the symptoms of, of Parkinson's. The only issue was getting the electrodes to the exact portion of the brain. And so this Arab-Israeli couple, Imad and Reem Yunus, mapped out the brain using sound. They allow brain surgeons to get to the exact part of the brain that they need to pulse. Because if you don't, you could turn someone into a vegetable or, or, or worse, kill them. And so 
women certainly have an important role to play. The uh, the founder of a drug called Rebif, Copaxone. Uh, uh, Rebif and Copaxone are two of the most popular drugs in the world for treating multiple sclerosis. There are 2.5 million people that are afflicted with uh, with multiple sclerosis. Over half are treated with drugs that were innovated in Israel. One called Copaxone and the other is Rebif. And the founder of Copaxone is a very, very prominent woman in Israel today. So uh, there are some societal challenges that, that you pointed out and addressed in the book, uh, specifically uh, Arab Israelis comprising 20% of the nation's population, but only 2% of the tech workforce. And I know that Israel is working on this. In fact, we met a young woman who is the first Arab-Israeli Rhodes Scholar, and she was an incredible story, and she probably is going to really make a difference uh, in innovation. But how can Israel innovate its way to bringing more Arab-Israelis into technology? So let's just start with the fact that 8% of Israel as a whole is in high tech, and the Israeli government recognizes that there's a lot more work that can be done. I heard Mayor Brand, the CEO of Google Israel, speak a few months ago, and he basically said he wants to not only see 8%, but in the coming years, 15, 20, 30, 40% of the population engaged in technology. And the only way to really get there is to is to go after segments of the population that aren't traditionally involved in tech, like women, like Arab Israelis, like the very, very ultra-religious portion of the state of Israel known as Haredim, that is where we're ultimately going to mine a, a, a new portion of the workforce. Israel certainly has a lot of work to do in this regard, but it recognizes the problem. And it is, and it is, it is putting its resources in order to engage those segments of the population. If you look at Nazareth alone, a tremendous amount of money is going into that city. My good friend Guy Spiegelman, who... Um, who heads an initiative in Israel called Present Tense, its all raison d'etre is to engage segments of the population that aren't traditionally in tech, like women, like the ultra-religious, and like the Arab Israelis. Your background is really interesting. You studied the Arab world, yet wrote a book about Israeli innovation. How did that come about for you? So I had the great privilege to spend time in places like Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, the West Bank, Gaza Strip, Egypt, Morocco, Qatar. I uh, was trained as a as a as a Middle East uh, historian. I did my graduate work at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, and then I moved to Cairo, where I studied at the American University in Cairo and Al Azhar University, which is the oldest university in the world and is the preeminent school of Sunni Islamic learning. And I pursued the Middle East for many years, working uh, at the Washington Institute and other prominent think tanks in Washington, alongside work at the U.S. Department of Treasury and Defense. My, uh, I, I made a pivot in the summer of 2014. I uh, bring my family now to Israel every summer, my kids. And uh, that summer, my life really changed when I experienced both the terror and the hope of living under the security of, of the Iron Dome. I'll never forget the, the first night of the war when I took my, my then four-year-old son down into the bomb shelter, I could see that alongside my neighbors were terrified. About 10 minutes later, we heard the sonic booms of the, uh, of the Iron Dome blasting these Kassam rockets out of the sky, and we knew that it was safe to go upstairs. And on the one hand, I realized this is very depressing that people need to go in and out of bomb shelters on, on both sides of the border. But on the other hand, 
Israel is producing a tremendous amount of life-saving technology that is improving the lives of so many people around the world. And that was a story that I needed to explore. I wasn't aware of the fact that Israel had more startups combined than Canada, India, Japan, Korea, and the United Kingdom combined. I didn't know that Israel had more companies listed on the NASDAQ than any other country outside of North America. And so as I discovered all of this tech, and specifically technology, that is improving the lives of people around the world, I was inspired and knew that I needed to write this story and bring it and bring it to light. That's amazing. Your book features many fascinating stories, and we're curious what surprised you the most as you were researching the book. It surprised me the extent of the impact that Israel was having uh, around the world. You look at a country the size of New Jersey, and it ha- it is improving the lives of people with multiple sclerosis, back surgeries, emergency responders, water, science. You look at all these innovations, and you realize that Israel has embedded itself in almost every segment of technology. And if you look at the top 10 problems afflicting humanity today, you're going to find someone in Israel who's trying to solve those problems. And that is extraordinary. I believe that we're witnessing a modern day miracle. You think of a people that has returned to its ancient land. Uh, When Ben-Gurion declared the state of Israel in 1948, He said primarily two things. On the one hand, he said, all Jews are welcome to come home. After 2,000 years, the doors are open. You're welcome to come back. And on the other hand, he baked in a messianic principle into the very foundation of this. Israel has the great privilege and obligation to tackle some of the gravest challenges of the 20th century. He seemed to be saying that tikkun olam and repairing the world was at the very heart and soul of the state of Israel. And so while tikkun olam in America has come to mean doing charity, walking uh, walking for AIDS and multiple sclerosis, and engaging in good deeds, in Israel, I believe it's come to mean taking technology and improving the lives of people around the world. If one person can walk, perhaps no one has to sit in a wheelchair. My colleague Amit Gopher created the exoskeleton, which is a robotic device that helps paraplegics not only walk again, but run marathons again. And he himself is a quadriplegic. And two years ago, he innovated a device that allows quadriplegics, people that have no use of any of their limbs, to stand upright and zip around using a Segway-like device. If one person can plant a cherry tomato, perhaps we can solve world hunger. And so the idea of technology being used to make the world a better place And that being at the very heart and soul of the state of Israel, I find inspiring. There is no single narrative that defines the state of Israel, but there is no denying that the country has extraordinary innovators that are bound together not by religion, money, or stature, but by a desire to save lives and make the world a better place. And that is an inspiring story that ought to be told. And it's, I hope hope the way we will come to understand the state of Israel, and understand ourselves as a Jewish people, and that we have an important role to play in making the world a better place for our children and our grandchildren and the generations to come. So as you look at, you know, your book looked at the last 70 years. Now I'm going to challenge you to uh, look into the future. What do you think Israel will innovate in the next 70 years? 
I have to say, I, I left my crystal ball back in Washington, D.C., but I am extraordinarily hopeful for the next 70 years. Let's take, for example, water. Israel is a country that is over 60% desert, and it is the only country in the world to have declared water independence. About five years ago, Israel declared that it uh, was water independent from its neighbors and from the weather. And it did that using a few technologies, primarily one, desalination. It has five desalination plants, which provides a tremendous amount of water to Israel's citizens. And I should point out that Israeli, uh, the Israeli firm IDE has built the largest desalination plant in the Western Hemisphere in California and the largest desalination plant in China and India. Secondly, Israel uses drip irrigation in order to water its crops. Third, it is um, recycling its wastewater. So when we go to the bathroom, Israel will take the waste aside and it will clean the water five times and then recycle 90% of that water back for agriculture. The second country down in the list is Singapore, and it only recycles 20%. And America only recycles 8%, alongside a number of other small technologies like the dual flush toilet and uh, an early detection system for sewage and water in major cities to ensure that there are no major leaks. And so Israel has declared water independence. If you look over the course of the next, not only over the, not only over the course of the next 70 years, but look, look to 2025. In seven years, Egypt, a country that borders the state of Israel, is going to have a water problem of biblical proportions. It's going to run out of water. I believe that countries like Egypt will turn their sights to the state of Israel and ask them for their help in solving their water problems. In the next decade or two, countries like Iran are going to have over half of their population become water refugees. I believe that those types of countries are going to turn their sights to the state of Israel to help them solve fundamental problems. As we look to a world that is resource scarce, Israel is innovating solutions to some of the most challenging and vexing human problems facing us today. Multiple sclerosis, back surgery, water, agriculture. Israel is finding solutions to these problems. Take, for example, global warming. Israel announced a few months ago that it believes that if you plant a certain set of trees over a band on planet Earth, it can reduce global warming significantly and cool the planet over the course of the next 10 years. Whether that comes to pass or not, I don't know. But I do know that Israelis are looking to solve some of these problems. And part of the innovation process is failure. We can only succeed by failing. And all of these innovators failed many times before they came up with their products. And so as I look to the course of the next 70 years, I know that Israel has a strong culture of innovation matched with a desire to help improve the world, coupled with a strong civil society and a sense of empathy to improve the lives of people around them, their neighbors far and close. And that is why I am excited to see the future of the state of Israel and what it brings to bear in this regard. Well, you're making me very uh, optimistic in these very pessimistic times, and I thank you for that. And, you know, I think that's one of the themes running through the book. There's a tremendous amount of hope and optimism, and, and that's what makes it a, a really excellent read. And I encourage people to pick it up. It's available on Amazon. And where else can people find it? People can find it in Barnes & Noble. And if you are living in Israel, you can also pick it up in Stamatsky. 
Fantastic. Now we're going to move you into the speed round to finish it off. My favorite round. I got to tell you, this is my favorite round. Excellent. Okay. You have to pick one Israeli word that you hear most often in Israel, chutzpah or balagan. Hands down, chutzpah. And we got to tell people balagan means mess, pretty much. Chutzpah means? Chutzpah is the sense of resilience or gall. You don't take anyone's beep. Got it. Okay. Let's talk about Israel's best and worst food innovation. This is easy. The best is bamba. And, 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 como bamba. We got nothing like bamba on the planet. It's this crunchy peanut butter kind of snack. Um, and the worst, I am not a huge fan of Meorav Yerushalmi or this Jerusalem grill mix. I, I, I find it, I find it gross. Maybe I'll have to try it actually just to see if that is in fact the worst because we have a lot of people here thinking that it would be dessert hummus, but I think that may the force, may the force be with you. <laughs> All right. Finally, what invention do you wish you came up with? You know, I, I thought long and hard about that question. I really wish I had come up with the wearable blanket that recently came out on El Al. Uh, a few months ago, Israel, uh, some Israeli company innovated the wearable blanket. When I fly around the world, I constantly get cold and I wear layers on and off. I, I wish I had come up with a wearable blanket. Wow. And what a great plug for El Al. I didn't know. All right. That's excellent. I didn't know they had a wearable blanket. Well, next time I fly... Not, not only can you not only can you fly safely, but you can have the wearable blanket at the same time. That is fabulous. All right, I'm going to try this. Well, I thank you so much, Avi. Thank you very much. I'd be happy to come back anytime. Thanks again for having me on the show.